Yeah, turn over to Ephesians 3. But uh, let's pray as we go to God's Word. Father, your self-revelation is of more value than anything we could have on this earth. And we pray we would treat it as such. And that your Word would be rightly handled and rightly divided this morning. And that our hearts would be affected by it, attuned to it. And that we would then um, go out and obey it and live in light of it and live in the comfort of knowing uh, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that we are set free from the bondage of sin and death and we pray we would live in that reality this week in Jesus name I ask amen we'll be uh, we've been learning with the kids at bedtime Ephesians 3 20 and 21 which is a, a doxology it's kind of the one we'll use as the benediction to uh for this morning and i've been as we've been learning it i've been thinking man that would really preach well and then Paige called me about an hour and a half before church and here's my opportunity and so i'm excited about ephesians 23 20, uh, 20 and 21 um, and i want to read i think we'll read from ephesians 3 7 through the end of the chapter to get some of the context so if you would we'll stand and read Ephesians 3, 7 through 21. The Apostle Paul, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given me, given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant to you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. (laughs) 
I think the question I want to ask this morning is, uh, what can we do? What can our church do, Trinity Reformed Church do? Um, you know, we are a place of perhaps small beginnings. We are a place where unpopular truths are held uh, tightly. We're a place with an unpopular approach to worship and, and many things. And honestly, from a human perspective, the, the whole thing is a bit of a, a long shot, really, uh, from a human perspective. Now, of course, we trust God. He can do far more uh, than a human perspective can imagine. Does that mean, then, that we kick back and allow Him to do everything while we just watch? I always think of that verse of Paul. I worked harder than any of them, the other apostles. Yet it was not I who worked, but the grace of God that is in me. I think of it kind of like a farmer. He has fields. He toils in the fields. And at the end of the day, really, it's up to God to germinate the seed, to provide rain. At the end of the season, all his toil uh, amounts to a harvest. And he, he, he reaps a harvest And then he gives thanks to God for his harvest. So God works in and through us. As Paul said, I planted Apollos water, God provide the growth. And that's what I want to talk about is is that question, what is Trinity Reformed Church able to do? Or better, what is God able to do through Trinity Reformed Church? Ultimately, it's all about him. It's about his ability, his work, and his glory. And those will be our three headings this morning. His ability, His work, and His glory. So first, His ability. Uh, When we ask that question, what can Trinity Reformed Church do? We are really confronted immediately with our limited abilities. At least I am. I'm painfully aware of my limited abilities. But God has no limitations. He has no end to His power and ability. So he begins in verse 20, now to him. Uh, This is a doxology. The word doxa in Greek means praise. This is a praise to God. Uh, It's kind of, I think of it like a toast, you know, to to the bride, to the groom, to the couple. Um, We we raise our our glasses. Sometimes as a family, when we celebrate things, someone will say, usually my dad, to the king, meaning Uh Jesus, to the king. It's an expression of of exaltation. We're lifting up the name of God. And here, he's lifted up because he is able. Now to him who is able. To him who is able. I don't know what the providence of God holds for Trinity Reformed Church, but I have hopes feels a little risky to me for some reason, but I'll tell you some of my hopes. I have hopes. I do hope that these are small beginnings of something greater. I hope that our friends in other traditions start to get it and move toward a more reverent corporate word-based experience. I hope evangelism begins to flourish, and people in our community begin to be saved. 
our hope that our church community grows and and begins to flourish in in further unity and, and fulfilling fellowship. I hope that God, by His Word and Spirit, continues to make us more and more like Christ. I hope that the gospel stays at the center as long as God sees fit to make Trinity Reformed Church a thing. Uh, I hope that in 50 years there will be a Reformed Church. Numbers don't matter, but I have this picture of 60 to 100 folks 50 years from now in Trinity Reformed Church an established presence in this valley. I hope this church uh, stands out to other Reformed and Presbyterian denominations as a test case that Reformation churches can thrive in a rural setting. And that as a result, a movement spreads through rural Colorado and rural United States that that Reformation churches would be established in small towns. Uh, Here's, here's one, a youthful and idealistic one for you. After all that, it'd be great if there was a seminary like the one I went to, established in connection with this church, that trained men to do what, what I, I'm doing, what we're doing, to go into rural settings. So that, those are things I'd like to see. Big dreams, but not unattainable things. The early church was, of course, the smallest of beginnings. When Jesus died, there was, there was not even a ripple, really, in the Roman Empire. It, it amounted to barely anything. But within 300 years, Christianity was a major disruption, and it changed the world forever. So, but the question, what can God do? Paul says, He is able. He is unfettered in His ability As the psalmist says, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. And His ability isn't hypothetical. Uh, Calvin points out well that He says when God, when He says that God is able, He does not mean power viewed apart, as the phrase is, from the act, but power which is exerted and which we actually feel. Whatever God can do, He unquestionably will do if He has promised it. Now, just because He says uh, He can do something, that doesn't mean He will do everything that we want. (laughs) Whatever He does will far surpass our imagination. He says that He is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And that's one of the most amazing statements, you know, I've ever heard. Think about it. What, what's your most far-fetched ask? What's the farthest-fetched thing you've ever prayed for? What's the biggest dream you've ever concocted in your head, your imagination? Uh, when we talk about heaven, uh, my dad always says he likes to imagine things that are just great, that he enjoys, like golf and food just go wild and imagine the best things you can imagine because the promise is that it will be better than what we can imagine and it may not feel like it but that's true of this life as well he's always doing far more and far better than our small minds can imagine and his works are abundant he says that word abundant reminds me of a harvest this is provision his blessings are full to overflowing 
Calvin again, he says, Whatever expectations we form of divine blessings, the infinite goodness of God will exceed all our wishes and thoughts. Whatever expectations we have, whatever he's going to do is better. So because God's abundance exceeds our imaginations, uh, many times his abundance doesn't align with our imaginations. In other words, I have no guarantee that what I want to see happen at Trinity Reformed Church will happen at Trinity Reformed Church. I have every guarantee that whatever He has in store will be better than what I've imagined. Now, it's painful, but think about what that may look like. There may be no Reformed Church here in three years. Or maybe a country who deserves judgment will get judgment, and God will get glory by preventing the faithful witness of Reformation churches from spreading through rural communities. But it will be better, and Christ will build His church. And that's the point. He does far better than all that we can ask or think. Those are the promises of God, and they far exceed everything that we can think of. So the first heading there was, was His ability, God's ability. And the second one is His work. His work. The next phrase here amazes me as well. I think we who are devoted to upholding the doctrines of God's sovereignty sometimes lose sight of the fact that that God uses us in the process of unveiling His sovereign plan. He works through people more often than not. He says that this work is according to the power at work within us. That's amazing. God is able to do far more than we ask or think according to the work that is within us, the power that is at work within us. So this isn't an immediate thing. This is not the ten plagues. This is not lightning and hailstones. Uh, He's talking about doing more than we can ask or think through us, through people. What is that power at work within us? I think... Broadly, uh, it's the blessings of Christ, the blessings of salvation. Calvin comments, he says, that every benefit which God bestows upon us is a manifestation of His grace and love and power, in consequence of which we ought to cherish a stronger confidence for the future. So I think if you look at the rest of Ephesians before you get to this point in the book, it's, it's the power of Christ in us and us in Christ, the union that we have with Christ. It's the power of the indwelling spirit or, or the issue at hand in the Ephesian church, the unity of the body of Christ. All these things are the power that is at work within us. And that's what he says God is using to work within us to accomplish more than we can ask or think. So if we understand what he's saying here, our confidence should go through the roof. God is able to work through us, through weak, miserable sinners, to do far more than our imaginations can invent. It's interesting, atheists cry out for a miracle to to prove that God is working in the world. But you know where I look to know where God is working in the world? is the church. And not just the church, but this church, little... Trinity Reformed Church, a gang of Reformed refugees standing against the prevailing gales of false doctrine. 
So if we want to see God work mightily, we don't look to the sensational. We look to the everyday labors of Christ's saints, to the mundane toil of the everyday, to the ordinary means of grace. That's where God is working mightily. That's God's work. And the third heading is His glory. God's glory. Uh, you know, again, we're accustomed to seeking glory in the sensational. You know, the skill of athletes, the attractiveness of actors and act- actresses, uh, the, the flash of charisma, all these things bring glory to men. And it's oftentimes that people search in, in healings and in tongues and prophecies and all these sensational things. They draw crowds to observe God's mighty works, but those aren't the things from which God derives the most glory. One of my favorite passages, you can turn there, I'm sure I've read it a number of times, but Job 26 Read Job 26, 6 through 14 together. Job 26, 6 through 14. Sheol is naked before God, and Abaddon has no covering. He stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not split open under them. He covers the face of the full moon. He spreads over it his cloud. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power he stilled the sea, and by his understanding he shattered Rahab. By his wind the heavens were made fair, and his hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways, and how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? It's just one of my favorites. The, the power of God explained and exclaimed there is amazing. And this, this lightning of God that we can barely understand. How small a whisper do we hear of Him? This lightning brings glory to God. Uh, the sensational things, the miracles that we read about in the Bible bring glory to God. But the, the big ticket glory items, if you'll pardon, pardon that phrase, is... Those things which are connected to our redemption. Those are the big ticket glory items. Another of my favorites, further on, we read it already. Um, Ephesians 3 and 7 through 10. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now this is the part I want you to notice. So that through the church 
the manifold wisdom of God may now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Notice that through the church, God is displaying his wisdom. Through the church, he's essentially showing off to the heavenly principalities. That's why Paul says, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. So he's taken weak sinners, frail sinners, and redeemed them. And that's glorious that he's done that. He's conformed us to the image of Christ, and that's glorious. And he's making us, this this weak and frail people, into people who through whom he accomplishes the primary work of redemption, the Great Commission. He's taken wretched refuse of the world and he's molded us and he's shaped us and made us into instruments for his hands to do his work, to spread the gospel of Christ to the ends of the earth. And that's a glorious thing. That's not immediately on the surface sensational it's not lightning it's not turning water into wine or raising a dead man those things are wonderful but he says through the church the manifold wisdom of God has been made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places so that our redemption is the headliner for God's glory that, that's what all of history is about that's God's crowning achievement that he's he seen fit to use his power to have us be a part of it, and that is glorious. So, what can Trinity Reformed Church do? And the answer is that God is able to do in us far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.